Let's continue reading Joshua chapter 15. In this chapter, we have a tracing of the boundaries for the tribal area of Judah. And we also have a listing of the cities within that area. The tribe of Judah took over many of these cities and began to live in them. Now, this chapter has 63 verses, as you can see, so we'll summarize some of it. Let's read verses 1 through 4. So this was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah, according to their families. The border of Edom at the wilderness of Zin, southward, was the extreme southern boundary. And their southern border began at the shore of the Salt Sea from the bay that faces southward. Then it went out to the southern side of the ascent of Akrabin, passed along to Zin, ascended on the south side of Kadesh Barnea, passed along to Hezron, went up to Adar, and went around to Karka. From there it passed toward Asmon and went out to the brook of Egypt, and the border ended at the sea. This shall be your southern border. So there in verses 1 through 4, we have the southern border for the tribe of Judah. You can follow it on your Bible maps. The Salt Sea, of course, is the Dead Sea. The brook of Egypt in verse 4 is not the Nile River, but rather the Wadi El Arish, which marks the southern end of the land of Canaan. Now in verses 5 through 9, we have the eastern border of Judah. And in verses 10 and 11, we have the northern border. Verse 12 is the western border, and it's very easy to follow. It's the Mediterranean Sea. Now let's pick up the reading at verse 13 and read down to verse 19. Now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kiriath Arba, which is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. Then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Debir, formerly the name was Debir of Kiriath Sefer, and Caleb said, He who attacks Kiriath Sefer and takes it, to him I will give Aksa, my daughter, his wife. So Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave him Aksa, his daughter's wife. Now it was so, when she came to him, that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? She answered, Give me a blessing, since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Now from verse 20 to the end of the chapter, we have a listing of the cities in the territory of Judah. Let's just read the first and last verses of this section. Verse 20. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Judah, according to their families. And verse 63, after the listing of the cities, as for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Well, once again, let's begin our study of this chapter, Joshua 15, with some background notes. Joshua chapter 15 is certainly not the most exciting chapter in the Bible, is it? I mean, wouldn't you rather read Joshua chapter 6 and the conquering of Jericho, the falling down of the walls of Jericho, and so forth, rather than Joshua 15? I mean, war stories are always more exciting than land surveys. <laughs> Joshua 15 reads like a real estate deal, because that's what it is. But Joshua chapter 15 was not boring reading to Judah because it was the land that God was giving to them. 
So certainly keep this in mind when you ask, why did God put a chapter like this in the Bible? Joshua chapter 15. But there are also spiritual lessons in this chapter for us. We'll look at a couple of these after a few more background notes. Back in Joshua chapter 11, we read of Israel conquering Hebron and driving out the Anakim, or the giants. Now, how does that harmonize with Joshua 14 and 15, which says that Caleb took Hebron and drove out the giants? Most likely, they are one and the same. That is, Joshua 14 and 15 give us the details of the Joshua 11 account. In other words, it was through Caleb that Joshua and the children of Israel took Hebron and drove out the giants. Now, in verses 21 through verse 32, there's a list of 38 cities. But verse 32 says the total is only 29. Well, how is this to be explained? Most likely the answer is in Joshua chapter 19, where we find that the tribe of Simeon had its tribal area within the tribal area of Judah and thus possessed nine of these cities. So the Bible's right on, the Bible's accurate, and when you have these apparent discrepancies, no problem, they're all easily resolved. One more background note. The mounds or tells of many of these cities listed here in the second half of Joshua 15 have been located, and the city of salt that's mentioned in verse 62 may be what later became Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were later buried. Well, we could go into more background, but let's move now to our doctrinal and teaching points for Joshua 15. Doctrinal or teaching point number one, God sovereignly distributes our portion in the land. God sovereignly distributes our portion in the land. You know, if you read the commentaries on Joshua 15, you will not find a wealth of material. <laughs> a few paragraphs at most. However, I did read one commentary that just about blew me away for its wealth of material on Joshua chapter 15. This was F.W. Grant's numerical Bible published by Loazzo Brothers. 36 pages of fine print, all on Joshua chapter 15. You say, how can you possibly write 36 pages of material on the land boundaries and the cities of the tribe of Judah? <laughs> well, you check it out. You'll see. Remember, the physical land of Canaan represents the spiritual land that God has given us. It's the land of spiritual realities where our spiritual blessings are and where spiritual warfare takes place. So in 36 pages of fine print, F.W. Grant traces the boundaries and tracks down the meanings of the names and places and draws spiritual lessons concerning our spiritual blessings and spiritual battles in the land. Such detail, of course, is beyond the scope of this sermon. Aren't you glad? <laughs> However, our doctrinal point here is a little bit more general than these details. God sovereignly distributes our portion in the land. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. And then skip down to verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, 
distributing to each one individually as he wills. You see the point? God is sovereign. In the land of spiritual realities, God determines what spiritual gift or gifts that we have. He determines what ministries and activities of Christian service are best for us and where we belong. God sovereignly distributes our portion in the land. All of this, you see, is pictured in Joshua chapter 15. God knew what portion of the land was best for Judah. It was determined, humanly speaking, by the drawing of lots. But God controlled the lots. In the same way, our spiritual gifts and ministries and areas of Christian service are many times determined by our circumstances, humanly speaking. But God controls our circumstances. God is sovereign. God sovereignly distributes our portion in the land. Let me ask you this morning. Are you content with your portion in the land? With the spiritual gifts that God has given you or not given you? What about the ministries you're involved in? The Christian service areas you're involved in? Are you content? Or are you bitter? towards God because he hasn't given you certain gifts that you would like to have. Remember, God sovereignly distributes our portion in the land. Doctrinal point number two, God graciously grants our requests in the land. God graciously grants our requests in the land. Let's read verse 16. And Caleb said, he who attacks Kiriath Sefer and takes it to him, I will give Aksa my daughter as wife. Othniel, who later became the first judge in Israel, responded to Caleb's challenge and conquered the beer. He was rewarded with Caleb's daughter, Aksa, as wife. Not a bad deal. <laughs> Not a bad deal. She then asked Othniel to ask Caleb for a certain field in the land, and the request was granted. Then she herself asked her father for certain springs of water, to irrigate her field, to make it more productive. And her request was granted. Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs, as we see in verse 19. Now, the request of Caleb's daughter, Aksa, was not a selfish request. She needed water to make the land that had been given to her more productive. I think we have a spiritual lesson pictured here, or at least an illustration. As Caleb's daughter asked her father for water to make her land more productive, so we should ask our Heavenly Father for whatever we need to make our lives more fruitful. As Oxa's request was granted, so ours will be as well. Now, this is not true of every prayer request we make. But prayer requests having to do with our fruitfulness in the land that God has given us, God loves to answer. Listen to the words of our Lord in John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Have you claimed this promise? Illustration. You know, I remember when I was in secular employment that I prayed that the Lord would give me more time to study his word so that I could be more fruitful and productive in teaching his word. Well, God answered that request, and he called me out of secular employment. What a blessing to be involved in preaching and teaching and studying God's word full time. 
God graciously grants our request in the land. Practical application. Is our problem lack of strength or lack of faith? Is our problem lack of strength or lack of faith? In verse 63, we read, As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. In fact, we learned that Judah did not fully drive out the Jebusites from Jerusalem until the time of David. How come? Was it lack of strength or lack of faith? It was lack of faith. The Lord had promised total victory if they would depend on his strength. Listen to the Lord's promise back in chapter 13, verse 6. After the seven-year conquest and a recounting of the enemies that were still left in the land, the Lord said, Them, that is the enemies, I will drive out from before the children of Israel. So Judah's problem was not lack of strength, but lack of faith. What about us? Is the enemy controlling some of the land in your life? Are you living with certain doubts and discouragements and defeats when you don't have to? We can't blame it on a lack of strength because Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. So here's a good question for all of us, isn't it? Is our problem lack of strength or lack of faith? 